I, I need to ask a very important question before we start off here, and it's by way of kind of a survey response and opinion poll. Um, it's very important for you to kind of dig deep, think through it. How would you answer? And most of all, be honest as I ask this question. And here's the question. Um, when it comes to dandelions, okay, do you consider them to be a weed or do you consider them to be actually a vegetable? If so, uh, how many of you would say you consider them to be a weed? Raise your hand. How many of you would say, no, I consider them to be more of a vegetable? Raise your hand. Not too many hands going up. Um, here's the reality. Let me share a little information with you that may surprise you. Um, it is only recently, in, in the really last few decades, that dandelions have gotten the reputation to be a weed. And, and that is a recent reality. It is not at all the history of the dandelion, which goes back hundreds and hundreds, even a thousand plus years. Back uh, even in Roman times, dandelions were prevalent and prominent, and, and, and they were... Uh, they were desirable and, and have been ever since in most places in the world. In fact, um, there's this incredible quote, and I want to read it to you because, see, dandelions are nutritious. Did you know this? They are second only to spinach in their vitamin content. In fact, if you want to figure out what is the one thing you could eat that has more vitamin A in it than anything else, actually, dandelions are your number one choice. What's beautiful about them is you can eat the entire thing. The roots, the stalk, the greenery on them, even the blossoms are all edible, completely edible and completely nutritious. Um, some people even boil parts of the root and, and there's a way you can actually turn it into a coffee substitute. Who knew, right? Um, if you use the greenery, it, it makes a wonderful salad. Um, uh, many people use the blossoms uh, to make dandelion wine. But, but beyond all this, people have been using dandelions because you can use every part of them as truly a vegetable for many, many years. In fact, they are categorized by many who eat them as they're a very healthy vegetable. Um, going way back, like I said, Roman times on forward, um, Europeans back in the day used to plant their yards with them intentionally. No grass, they'd plant dandelions intentionally because of their nutritious content and the fact they could be utilized as food and, um, and actually they're very easily to maintain, you might say too. Well, not only that, um, colonists back in the 1700s when they, when they came um, to the United States, um, they actually brought the dandelion to America back in the 1700s. And uh, so if you've ever not liked dandelions, there weren't any here before then, but they brought them over. And I love this quote I found in my research on dandelions. Early colonists who came to the new settlements of America brought many items from their homeland that they would need in this new land. And one of those items was the dandelion, which is surprising to some of you. It was from this very early introduction in American history that dandelions began their spread across uncharted territory. It was the common people looking for a new life who brought this plant with the simple need for something familiar in a strange place. Fascinating. So let's ask again, how many of you believe a dandelion is a weed? How about how many of you believe it's a vegetable? I think I still have a lot of haters in the room. Right? Yeah. I, I bring that up because, you know, as a kid, I remember growing up with dandelions 
We had them everywhere, and, and my dad was not one to put any fertilizer on our, our yard out in the country. We had lots of dandelions, and he said, you know, once they went through the yellow phase, because they're beautiful and they're yellow, and once you get through the seed phase, well, they're just green, and it's all green, and I'm like, yeah, I guess, and, but I remember as a kid, have you ever did, done this with the, with the blossom, where you'd rub it on somebody's cheek, and, and what would you say? Do you like butter? Where's this come from? And what does it mean? I don't get that one. But I do know another part as a kid that I really, truly loved. And that was when they did go to seed. There's something incredibly satisfying, right? (sighs) I mean, look at that. God has designed these little buggies, uh, buggers to um, just catch the wind and sail. I mean, even in here, they've gone how many feet? And Outside in the wind, I mean, these seeds of a dandelion, they fly through the wind for miles upon miles. It's no wonder they, they spread and, and they, they plant. Um, there's something about that. And if you've seen the visual, the dandelion, like what's that all about? Well, the word diaspora, which is out of the Acts reading we read today, is about being truly through the seed or or the seed of the gospel going out, the scattering of God's people to go and share the word of God. Um, that's the word. It's through the seed being carried out into the world. Now, I'll put that in context. Here we read Jesus telling about this parable of the sower. And, and here's Jesus telling this story. And he says, you know, the, the farmer goes out, he scatters the seed. And one thing that's very prevalent in the, in the story is that the sower is not stingy on the seed. I mean, he, he's spreading it everywhere. And in, in fact, you know, you think about that. That's a beautiful image as Jesus gives us of that the, the sower isn't just planting it in one little area. He's, he's planting it wherever it will fall, wherever the wind will take it. And, and some of this, the seed is falling among soil that is just covered in thistles and thorns and, and weeds. And some of the, the seed is falling on, on land that, or in ground that is covered in rocks and, and really unfit, it would seem, for, for long-range farming. And then, then some of the seed, he says, falls on, on very rich, fertile soil. And Jesus will explain that parable to us in a little greater detail in the coming weeks. But I think about that. Ultimately, we, we get the hunch, okay, what he's talking about is the seed is the word of God, and the, the word of God is shared in the world, and a lot of people say, oh yeah, Jesus is telling the story, and it's Jesus who is the word made in the flesh, who's come to share and spread the word of God in this world. And, and now that, that Jesus ascends into heaven after Pentecost, well, as everybody knows, it's now the job of the professional clergy to go out and spread that word, Right? That's why we get paid, right? That was meant to be funnier than that. Um, some of you are like, we pay those guys, right? You do, and we appreciate it. Um, but the thing is, is, is that the job of pastors to go out and spread the word and, and be those that go out and share the seed of God's love in the world? Is that only our calling, or has God got a, a bigger plan than that? I love how the book of Acts, you know, after Pentecost, and Jesus had told his disciples, and we'd been the last few weeks kind of going that direction. Jesus had made a promise. He says, you know, wait here in Jerusalem, and and you will receive power from on high. We talked about being clothed with power from on high, and that was the coming of the Spirit of God that would change all things, would give them an incredible boldness, 
and a greater understanding of what the mission of God is. And, and as they waited for that coming spirit, and Jesus gives them that commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, and then they waited, and he, you know, like, okay, well, now what? And Pentecost comes, and it just so happens in Jerusalem that day, there were, you know, thousands and thousands of people from all over the world, and and they all hear the gospel and, and they, their lives are transformed. 3,000 people are baptized. And the thought is, hey, they all go back to their lands now and where they live. And so the gospel is going out, just like Jesus said it would. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And, and he goes out and out, out to the ends of the world. And I've always wondered, did the disciples then think, hey, we got our job done. The, the message has gone out. All good, right? And Let's get back to just being comfortable. <laughs> and yet as we, we see, Acts goes on and, and things change. Uh, in fact, for a while it's going really well. And then something terrible happens. And we read it in the Acts reading. Someone is killed for being a believer of Jesus. Uh, and here Stephen is, bold. And, and we don't get any sense, you know, Stephen is, is being, you know, um, sarcastic or being rude. He's simply just speaking truth. And the religious leaders, they don't like it. In fact, that after he ends his speech, and as he shares truth from God's word and Old Testament, and he shares all of that, he gets to the end and it says that they were so angry. Did you catch that phrase? They were gnashing their teeth. You know, it's just kind of a biblical image of when you're really angry, you gnash your teeth like that. Well, here it is. And, and with that, they, they they, they take him outside, drag him outside, and they begin to stone him. That, that is, they, they probably tied him down, and they start throwing rocks at him in order to kill him. I, I was thinking about, I had a friend back in college who um, did a, had a costume for Halloween. He was trying to come up with something creative, and he decided to, to dress up as Stephen. And so what he did is he, he got like a, like a pastor robe, alb thing, and, and then he went to Joanne Fabric. He bought some elastic. And uh, then he made some paper mache rocks, they were super light, and he stapled them to the elastic, and then he, he stitched the, the elastic to some several key areas on the alb. And the idea was you, you'd walk up to him and you'd pull back a rock and snap it, right? Um, if you're looking for a costume for next Halloween, you can thank me. I gave you an idea. <laughs> Unique, you'll be the only one at the party, guaranteed. Um, but in all seriousness, Stephen wasn't just pretend masquerade stone to death. No, he was put to death. And, and that word martyr comes from this moment. Stephen is the first martyr for the Christian faith. But one of the things I think is important to note here, as he is being martyred, put to death, did you notice his peace? He's not shouting out accusations. He's not angry. He's not saying, ah, you know, he's not, he's, none of that. He's, he's calm. How is that possible? I'd like to say it's just one more point of how our God is real. Jesus said, they will hate you because of me. Don't be surprised. Don't get all bent out of shape. Don't, don't retaliate because he doesn't. Jesus didn't. Because there's something greater going on in the midst of this. Here's Stephen giving witness even in his death. There he is, looking, and he says, I see, I see heaven opened up, and I, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand. And um, a lot of times when we hear and think theologically of Jesus being at the right hand of God, 
as God, but being at the Father's right hand. You think of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God or standing at the right hand of God? Seated, right? We even confess that in the creed, seated, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and here is Jesus standing. And from early Christian tradition, it was thought that whenever someone dies for the faith or is martyred for the faith, that Jesus stands in that moment. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thought that what Jesus would stand for anyone who dies as a follower of him. It's a beautiful thing. But here's Stephen, and in that moment, in that peace, and he's praying, he's like, Father, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> Same words Jesus prayed on the cross. Now, Stephen dies. And it says there that on that day, there was a man by the name of Saul who was there giving approval to his death. People were coming to him and he, basically he was overlooking all of this saying, you've done a good thing. He's a religious leader of the day, a high-ranking official and his name's Saul. And the thing is, as we study Acts this summer, we're going to see a life transformation. Saul will be ambushed by the Spirit of God and will become one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. This is one of many interacting stories that happens to the book of Acts. It's like only God could pull this off. How amazing it is. But then we get to the beginning of chapter 8 where it says this. And I think we, we've got this to put on the screen as well. Now on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now let's keep that up there. A few questions about it. who was scattered. Okay, I'll ask it a different way. Maybe a little easier answer. Who wasn't scattered? The apostles. Wait a minute. The paid professionals in the church of the day weren't scattered? How could the word go out then? That was meant to be kind of facetious, right? The answer is because the rest of his church, God's church, was scattered. And the word diaspora is the word we find in the scripture for scattered. And it shows up twice in this section that the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And, and here it's happening they were scattered. Now make no mistake about it. Do you think they were happy about being scattered? Can you imagine being forced from your home? Can you imagine having to leave where you were comfortable and where you regularly worship? Oh wait, we're doing that, aren't we? <laughs> Can you imagine being displaced? Can you imagine being out of your comfort zone in a place in a new way, in a new way of thinking and being forced? And you might say, wow, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. You know what God is doing through it? God was establishing his church throughout the world. He was taking what seemed to be a terrible situation, Stephen's death. And God was unleashing the greatest hope the world had ever known. And here's how he was doing it. He was doing it through his people. As the spirit was having its way in their lives, they were going out and as it says that, those who had been scattered preached the word where? Wherever. Wherever they went. Where is your wherever? Maybe you're going through a diaspora moment in your life right now. 
And, and I get it, you know, you, you read something like this, like, well, you know, we talk about being persecuted in America for our faith. Give me a break. We are not. Not on the level of what Stephen experienced, not on the level of where most Christians in, in many nations are facing, where they truly, their lives are in jeopardy for bearing witness for Jesus. We don't face that today. Let's just be honest about it. The stuff we, nah, it's nothing like that. Oh, somebody who's an antagonist at, at work is nothing. I mean, that, that, Jesus even said when the seed is scattered, there's going to be some ground that's not going to be receptive to it. It shouldn't surprise us. Don't get offended. Don't get aggravated or angry by us. It's about going out and sharing the word. Is not everybody's going to love what you say. It's okay. We don't get mad at them. We keep loving them. We keep reaching them and sharing grace and mercy in Jesus. Truth. But the reality is maybe you're going through a diaspora moment and maybe it's not like Stephen went through, but maybe it is a tough one. Maybe you've been given a diagnosis with your health that you didn't sign up for or didn't see coming. And and it's thrown you for, for a loop here. And, and maybe it's somebody in your, in your family that's going through that. Maybe it's someone who's not there. It's Father's Day. You're like, I, my dad's not here anymore. And that's really difficult. And maybe that's your diaspora moment where you're out of your comfort zone of what you long for or wish was still the case. Maybe your diaspora moment is, is you're going through a job change or a circumstance that you didn't sign up for. Maybe it's even a new opportunity and you're like, whoa, now what do I do? Or maybe you just graduated from eighth grade and you're going to a big high school next year. You're going off to college and, and you're like, now what? And you're, there's a little anxiety that goes with that. It's a change in environment and it might even be an exciting thing, but there's, there's a fear in that too. You know, these are all diaspora moments. As God leads us wherever we go, to go and preach the word, to share the message of Christ. And what an incredible opportunity it can be, even if it's a hard time to realize, God, I can still praise you even through this and bear witness in my pain and my struggle. I can bear witness. Maybe your, your diaspora is a battle with sin and, and failure in that, but yet it's become part of your testimony of God's grace and mercy worked out in your story. To be able to share that with someone else going through it there's nothing more powerful than that. Never underestimate what God can do in those diaspora moments of our lives. You know, this summer, we're going to see some amazing examples of that, of what God can do when he moves people out of their comfort zone to look beyond themselves and to realize their part in the kingdom. And I would dare say, it's almost as fun it's blowing on a dandelion, except in a bigger way. It impacts the whole world and the kingdom for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for sharing your word, the seed of that word in our hearts and our lives, calling us by name as yours. Lord, may that seed continue to grow and bear fruit in our lives. And we pray that as you open our eyes to the diaspora realities that we face every day. Whether it be this afternoon, whether we go to a grocery store, or out on a golf course sometime, or on vacation this summer, that every moment, wherever we go, your people dispersed throughout the world. You've called us to be people who cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. Lord, have your way in us in a way that changes lives, beginning with our own. 
We praise you for this reality and we praise you for this, this incredible gift. It's in Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.